Sorry, mate, my, my kids haven't eaten. And, oh, um, mate, no, don't worry at all. Parents yeah. dried down because we sort of – and I'm just looking at the, the timer. Yeah, shit, 56 minutes. Jeez, oh, Prof, mate, if your kids haven't eaten, maybe we need to put out another call for sponsorship if, if things are that tight in the Pilsner household. Oh, I might just hit ABM Bev up and say, look, can you do a crowdfunding thing for me? Thanks to Cryamalt for preparing to open the doors to the Trade Hub and Brewers Lounge for Good Beer Week number eight. This is Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me on this action-packed episode is the founding editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard. Not joining us today is James Atkinson, because he's in Japanese land. Again, kampai, James. Uh, g'day, Matt. G'day, ja- uh, g'day James. G'day, yeah. Prof. Yeah, good start. I did throw the intro a little bit because I thought I'll, I'll let everyone know up front, you're not going to hear James. It's not that we're cutting out anything, that, you know. It's not that he dribbled or anything and we had to edit it all out. He's, he's actually not here. Um, as a guest of, is it Suntory? He's going over doing well, a, He's over doing whiskey visit. tours, yeah. He, he does write a little bit on the side and he's uh, discovering about the delights of whiskey. Very well, we should say, since he's not here. So there's no chance of, you know inflating his ego or blowing sunshine up his skirt unnecessarily but um yeah executive style i read quite a bit of um a few of his pieces and uh um because of course for those who don't know james's background was was sort of in the broader um beverage category trade absolutely there we go uh now welcome uh listeners and in the interest of keeping things moving and tight um making news this week we are going to be discussing the following trademark wars is it getting bigger than the star wars franchise space beer in space, no one can hear you ask for money. Corona seeks to solve its main problem, um, that it has too much flavour. Uh, Matt takes a look at a Brewbound article which unveils its fastest growing craft breweries. And AB InBev works out a way to carbonate beer. Oh, and a special undercover investigation discovers that 80% of all craft beer is actually passion fruit soft drink. We shall discuss. Uh, Matt, it's been a big week in news for beer. Yeah, uh, we, we have had quite a few stories uh, rolling around the, uh, the the place, which has been good to see. Number one, James is overseas, but he still managed to find time to uh, file a story about trademark wars on uh, Australian Brews News. And fair to say it garnered a little bit of response. <laughs> yes, yes, it certainly did. Some of it quite unexpected. Some of it was surprising. Some of it was, as you'd expect, you know, why can't everybody just get along? I do, I do like that. comments like that, though, because it, do, it does sum it up. You know, like, don't be a dick. We discussed this years ago with um, the word Radler. Which, of course, is the a German word meaning cyclist. Cyclist, yep. Yep. But I, so, like, um, we discuss hey, how do you trademark? You, you can't trademark a, a, you know, a word that people have in their vocabulary, you know, for centuries or since bicycles were invented. That's very true. But it's it's not a, it's not the word itself. It's you know like a, you know um, urban ale um, or you know and. That's the, the decision that the trademark, um, you know, registrar has to decide at the time that the application is. And I, you know, I'm not in. We probably need to get another trademark uh, attorney on to talk about some of this stuff and even the process of trademarking. But there's a whole lot of considerations that have to be made um, before um, it, it's entered onto the trademark record. But but the whole idea that guys can't we all get along? Just because um, you know, well, take a step back. If you do have words that have been entered onto the trademark register, 
um, that is your intellectual property. You know, the, somebody has found that you have got an entitlement to use those words exclusively for whatever reason, and that becomes part of your intellectual property. And you know, I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of breweries that have started recently where they're you know, all fired up, they want to make fantastic beer, um, you know, they've got great recipes, they've got a great location, they've got a, you know, a, a bar concept that is going to win. But if you don't own your trademark, or if you don't own your intellectual property as well, um, you know whether it's your brewery name or you know the name of your your favourite beer styles or whatever, then essentially you've got a whole lot of stainless steel that lost value the minute you installed a new brewery, um, because your business isn't you know the, the stainless steel which can be sold and replaced. It is the whole goodwill of your company, and and, and that's where. The, the name of a brand um, or, you know, your your beer and all of that inter- intellectual property is really important. So when you say, you know, can't we all get along? Well, no. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like someone coming in and, you know, um, grabbing your recipe or... Or doing a show and calling it the Bruin Transfer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mate, that's... Yeah, look, well, we, we certainly didn't... Tra- uh, it would be interesting to see if we could have trademarked that. We, we, we might come back to that one. But, uh, you know, ideas are nothing. It's execution that's everything. And, you know, when, when you actually execute something really well, that's where the uh, the IP gets a little bit of uh, value built around it. But anyway, to, to, to back to this story... Um, Two Melbourne-based beer companies are set to face off in court over the use of the word urban on rival beers. Laneway Brewery, PTYLTD, which trades as Collins Street Brewing Co. PTYLTD, claims Lusseren Brewing has infringed the urban ale trademark that Laneway registered in June 2016. Um, and they claim that uh, Laneway argues that, that it has established a substantial, exclusive and valuable reputation and goodwill in Australia by reference to the urban ale trademark. Um, Prof, I don't know and, about and, you. And, and Q, everybody's saying, who? Who? Yes. <laughs> I actually... Um, I was actually I was in Melbourne last night. Um, there's no brewery in Collins Street. No, I there's not. <laughs> no, no, no. Not that you need the stainless to be a brewery. I, I, I do get that. You've got Laneway Brewery PTYLTD, which trades as Collins Street Brewing Company PTYLTD. Okay, well, which then, on, which then the, makes beers under the name of... But something else. Now, now our business lawyer friends might be able to comment on this, but isn't the proprietary limited the company? So, like you have, like Bruce News has the happy, um, you know, we've got Bruce News PTYLTD, but then we trade as Bruce News because that's our trading name. And you know, so the the the, the name that you know as is a you know like a snappier name that you can trade under. But you know, my tastings business is cuneiform PTYLTD, um, which is just the, 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 the boring commercial entity. And then I trade as beer mat. These guys have gone laneway brewing PTYLTD and they're trading as Collins Street Brewing Company PTYLTD. Isn't, wouldn't you just call it yourself Collins Street Brewing? But I don't know. Anyway, overwhelming response on Facebook has been who? And I have to agree. And uh, so I did go to the uh, bastion of all, uh, you know, beer um and the only place i could find any significant mention um was you know crafty pint did a story back in 2016 i i i'd have to agree with a lot of people you know i I don't know how deep and substantial everyone's heard of la seren brewing and urban pale ale is a you know just a a fixture on the the beer community there was a lot of wow when it launched and there still is um but i don't know that i've even heard of uh Urban Pale Ale, which isn't even the name of the beer. It's a tagline. But anyway, so go read more about it there. But Prof, you uh, something else came to your attention in the Facebook discussion. Uh, I come for the articles, but I stay for the comments. Um, 
yeah, hipsters will be crying to their smashed abo uh, this morning just at, at the the brutal chicaning they got from um, some commenters, one of whom then uh, right out of left field and quite unexpectedly um, posted the following. But to be brutally honest, Australian craft beer and commercial beer is dog shit. Go to Germany for a month and then come back and drink a soy boy urban beer. Tastes <laughs> like shit, overpriced, and the craft brew feel is gone. To which I love the next one down, uh, Ben Krauss. Uh, mate, been there, done that, got a pretty different opinion. <laughs> yeah, but Australia has a disturbingly sick love of pale ale, which is simply shit. Every brewer makes an IPA or some other ale that goes overboard with shit hops. So apart from some very broad brushstrokes, um, completely wrong. <laughs> they don't come yeah, much uh, broader, do they? No, no. So that, that sort of becomes the story within the story. Um, but look, the internet apparently is worldwide now, and, and apparently you can, you can write whatever you like. I, I would just, you know engage brain before opening mouth or well, tapping keyboards there's a terrific uh, cartoon of uh, a guy talking to a lady over a dinner table a romantic dinner and he says uh, uh, allow me to uh, you know overwhelm your knowledge with my opinions um, or you know your expertise with my opinions and i just can't help think of that you know just just because you've got an opinion doesn't make it right or any more legitimate particularly in this case no, no, that's right. And re- and realistically, you know, we've evolved to the point where we have opposable thumbs now. We really should use them to, uh, you know, for goodness. Anyway, um, Space Beer, Matt, Vostok. Beer. Vostok Space Beer. Now, this has been kicking around for a long time. You know, it was one of the things that Four Pines really started to make a, like a bit of a wave about um, early on in their, their days. Um, one of their regular customers uh, was a rocket scientist, quite literally, and they were talking about, you know, developing space tourism and, you know, that you'd need a beer. Um, and obviously, in weightlessness, um, when you swallow, gravity keeps gets the liquid going down um, you know, out of the bottle and in, into your mouth, and then the, the, the muscles do the rest. But um, in apparently in space, I've not tried it, um, if, if you've got a gassy liquid, that pressure can force it back out, and you can have uh, what are apparently called wet burps. Um, yeah. So there's been without, a... without being too graphic. So <laughs> hope you're not listening uh, listening to this while you're having breakfast. But there's a uh, but you know, and also there's a lot of physiology that takes place um, as airlines are found. You know, food we we, we yeah. perceive flavors differently. Um, you know, the, the chemical process that is flavor um, is a little bit different, and apparently that's very much true in space as well. So you, you need bolder flavors. Um, so anyway, they've been working with this uh, space company to create a what they call their Vostok space beer, um, and also a essentially a space growler, um, something that, a bottle that you can put the beer in that. Uh, gets it into your mouth in a zero gravity um, event. Yeah, because the basic premise of it is that um, this space travel is all well and good, but if in space we can't get a beer, we're not going to be as keen to, to fork out a couple of mil for a ticket. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah. Uh, this, so I applaud the I applaud the uh, the basic premise behind the research. I I, I do, um, although I remember saying uh, on Twitter, where the, this has been kicking around for so long, um, the, the development of this product, that I remember saying when it first came out, I don't know why people are getting so you know getting you know so uptight about a beer in space when we can't get a decent beer on Qantas, um, and such is the passage of time that these days you know. Uh, Singapore Airlines has a complete um, stock of uh, very interesting craft beers. I think, you know, Qantas and Virgin. I mean, you can at least get four pines on um, uh, Virgin these days. Um, and Qantas seems to have a, a list. So, so there's one hurdle done. But, you know, 
it, it still seems a, a bit of a gimmick. Um, and whether or not you actually want to drink in your 15-minute suborbital flight, whether you've got time for a beer and to take some photos and a selfie um, and tweet about it, I just don't know. <laughs> but um, so all well and good and, and all very interesting um, on that element. And there's some very interesting technology and some thought been going into it. But of course, since all of that happened, CUB has bought Four Pines. Um, and CUB isn't an insignificant company. And yet, they're now they're, they're still going out. This company that is proudly uh, supported by ZX Ventures, which is the disruptor um, arm of AB InBev, is still going cap in hand to punters through a crowdsourcing platform to raise a million dollars um, to develop this technology further. And I, I, I just can't... Yeah, if people want to put their money in, go for it. I just sort of think that this probably isn't what crowdfunding platforms had in mind when they set up as crowdfunding. It was pretty much companies that couldn't get capital through traditional means developing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, when Facebook first started, I don't think it it was really designed as a Russian tool to um, elect certain people to president. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, you know, <laughs> law of unintended consequences. Who? Who knew? You know. Well, but this isn't. A, this is a very. I see what this con. internet this is a very thing can do. Deliberate thing, and I, you know, I just don't know yeah. that it's. That it's what you know. Why a multi-billion-dollar company um, that you know generates millions of uh, millions of dollars of profit? Well, actually, no, they don't because then they'd have to pay tax, and they don't. But they do sell a hell of a lot of beer in in the country. Why they need to go cap in hand to punters um, to sell very expensive growlers um, for it? Just. Yeah, that's just the thing that struck me about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly, um, and a nice segue, on the one hand, we've got AB InBev uh, who are trying to develop, a, I don't know whether it's a bubbleless beer um, to go into space or a way of drinking bubbled beer. And at the same time, they're working out how to carbonate beer. Did you did this um, pop across your desk? Oh, it's certainly. now. But it's an interesting story. Well, it's interesting that you say that they're or working out how to carbonate beer, but it, it, is that actually what the story was about? Um, you know, the story broke um, in The Guardian, which is you know, one of the more reputable news websites. Um, world's largest brewer develops greener way to put bubbles in beer. The world's largest brewer is rolling out what it claims is a greener way to put bubbles in beer and reduce CO2 emissions. Um, the Belgian-based company AB InBev says it has developed a technique to generate gas bubbles needed for the malting of grains before fermentation without the need to boil the water and hops. What? When did we start carbonating malt? Well, when did we... Yeah, when was CO2 used in the um, malting process? What? And don't the bubbles in beer come post-fermentation? Fermentation. Or wow. as a result of... Yeah, as a result of fermentation... Uh, unless you force carbonate. Yeah, so look... Or, or bottle condition, which is um, forced carbonating as well, I suppose. Now, we didn't get any media release about this. Um, there have been a couple of other uh, stories. Well, you, you, you saw it in The Guardian and I got it in my... In my um, Drinks trade? Uh, feed from the Drinks Association. Drinks Association. Who, who picked up the story as well. And theirs seemed to be as every bit as confused as The Guardian story. There was another one that I saw elsewhere that seemed to have a little bit more detail, but again, it didn't wasn't any clearer. Um the only thing that I can, un the, the, the only thing that seems to make sense is some of the online ruminations, and somebody was suggesting that it's a technique that other brewers have looked at in the past, where if you increase the pressure of the kettle, essentially pressure cooker, um, you can, you know, reduce lower your, the boiling point and reduce your energy consumption, yep. but have the same at effect. Which point, 
Yeah, yeah. So you can then, so you basically you're carbonating your beer by um, when the water is at a lower temperature. Therefore, you you've used less energy to heat that water. But then so it that, also that's, talks that's, about that's where your saving comes in. Yeah, because they patented they, the, the 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 story said that the. ABMBF has decided to share the technology with the industry. The patent, which is relatively easy to apply, uh, according to the company, can be requested free of charge by small breweries, production of fewer than 1 million hectolitres per year. Larger breweries will have to pay a fee based on their volume, which will be invested in further research and development programs to further green innovations. So does that tell you, Matt, that ABMBF says, we're all in this together. Let's join hands and sing Kumbaya. You can buy our technology and make beer like we do. Just, yeah, mate, as I'm if, just... As if they already don't. I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know what it's about because then you get... Studies suggest there will be an 80% less evaporation as a result of a 0.5% reduction in water consumption. Wouldn't, isn't that the wrong way around? You, you, you'd, have a, you'd have a reduction in water consumption as a result of 80% less evaporation? I, I, mate, and the whole thing just seems yeah. to be very confused. And it's, a, a, yeah, a, a, it's why... Yeah. We, we, did, we have done our due diligence, folks, and we have, we have um, kind of worked it backwards just to make sure that the originating source behind the Drinks Association, then the Guardian, you know, wasn't the Onion or Batuta Advocate. Yeah. So anyway, let, let, less said about it, the better, because it will only get more confusing. But we will try and find out. Uh, unless, yeah, look, unless somebody from maybe InBev, um, one of our many friends over at the big house, um, is able to shed some light on that, flick us an email, let us know. Because, uh, yeah, they certainly uh, shed a little bit of light on, uh, on the next story, Prof. That's right. Corona, trying to make itself more relevant. One of the biggest brand categories in beer at the moment is, is mid-strength. Now, I knew that was sort of far north Queensland and Western Australia and northern New South Wales to an extent, um, and certainly in Melbourne if you're going to um, sporting events at, at the MCG. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know, I'm a bit insulated, I guess. I, I just don't sort of see that much in the way of mid-strength, but, um, but Corona's decided me too. Yeah, not, not sounding too cynical about it all. Um, global super brewer AB InBev has acknowledged the strength of the Australian premium mid-strength market by launching a mid-strength version of its marketing market-leading Corona. Um, Corona Ligera, it may be pronounced, it may be spelt Ligera, but don't pronounce it Ligera because you will get in trouble. Well, it is Ligera. Well, Peroni, yeah, Peroni has a Ligera, doesn't it? They do, which is Italian for light. This is Spanish for yeah. light. So the, the beer itself, yes. Um, they uh, look, you know, Prof. On, on one hand, you, you want to just say, so what? Matt, but, don't, don't don't bet around the bush. We've always you hear it all the time. There's just too much going on in Corona. I, I just <laughs> need less. Uh, well, look, yeah, have a three percenter. Is it going to be twice as expensive? Because I'm now going to need to use twice the citrus to make it taste or something. <laughs> Well, Ooh. apparently, I, I am assured. Just think it. It's not an option of lime or lemon. Lime is the only acceptable uh, fruit to go in, uh, according to the brand manager. But yeah, look. On one hand, you, you might sort of say, "Why is uh, Bruce News talking about this?" Yeah, it, it, it's not a beer that you or I are likely to go out and invest in. Um, but at the same time, it, it's more what this says about the shape of the, the beer market and the fastest growing sector in the beer market is mid-strength. As much as people in the craft beer world want to say craft beer is the saviour of the, the beer industry, craft beer is growing reasonably quickly but off a very small base. Um, mid-strength beer is growing, you know, it's almost a quarter of the national beer market and it's growing at 14%. So that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of people moving from one form of beer to another. Um, it may not be bringing people to category, but it is certainly a, uh, a very important um, segment. We've seen a lot of craft brewers launch uh, this, and when you've got Australia's largest import beer brand, 
um, launching a mid-strength variant. Um, and, it's, and it's only in Australia. Um, so it's being tested in Australia. And I think Heineken 3 might have been tested in Australia. I think a couple of other mid-strengths have been tested in Australia first because we are a very much a mid-strength um, country. And as you pointed out, it's Queensland. Um, that yeah, so so it is certainly big news. The only interesting thing uh, that I asked about it is: is there any risk that having a mid-strength Corona? Um, to me, when Summer Bright Lager launched, I couldn't work out why Lion, which also had um, or soon adopted um, or got the rights to Corona, had two clear bottle lagers that you know almost indistinguishable, um, and whether those beers would do. And then Great Northern launched. I sort of thought, well, you know, why would anyone drink this over Corona? Um, and there is very much a different perception of all of these beers in the marketplace. While the liquid may be indistinguishable, um, the, the, the brand. And so I asked whether CUB, which also has Great Northern, which is a very fast-growing um, brand, and um, Great Northern Super Crisp, um, which is their mid-strength version, whether they thought that there would be any um, cannibalising from one to the other. And Emily Griffiths, um, who was the brand manager, said... The position and who these brands are talking to are very, very different. Great Northern is all about escape to the outdoors with your mates. And while on the surface, maybe that looks like Corona is not at all, not all that different. It's a much younger demographic that we, are, Corona, are talking to. Yes, it's about the outdoors, but more about the beach and sunset occasion. So from a position perspective, we're very clear that they play in a different role. They talk to different people. Um, now, Great Northern seems yeah. to be... I, I think that could fairly, fairly be argued that, that that's not the case at all. I, I, a lot more similar, I think, than, than they're admitting. Well, the, the liquid is, but who it appeals to isn't. And look, mate, when I started writing about beer, it was exactly that sort of marketing stuff that I would I loved pillaring because on one level it sounds so ridiculous um, until you actually speak to people in you know, in pubs or, you know, the um, cruises that we do and they have very strong preferences between Summer Bright Lager or um, Great Northern or Iron Jack or Corona, which if you put them in a blind tasting, I would defy anybody to um, taste them differently. Yeah, um, yep, 100%. But yeah, mate... Do, do, you really, do you really reckon it's it's a different market though? Um, well, it, it, look, on one level, it's people who don't like beer with flavour, Um but on another level, the brand speaks to us. And, and you know, it's arguably the same reason that, um, you, know, you, you, you know, for a long time there were a lot of cars that were made, came out of the same factory and they just had different brands. Um, or, you know, I, I guess if you go into, you know, your, your local Bunnings, there are 17, you know, actually probably even more than that, there's probably 70 different shades of white. And when you look at the, um, you know, one swatch by itself, it looks different, but when you've got a wall of swatches, you can see all of the subtle differences. And I guess, you know, on some level, um, Great Northern and Peroni, or Great Northern and uh, Corona and Summer Bright Lager speak differently to different people because people have very, very strong preferences. And you, you, you try and tell them, get through that rational part of their brain and tell them. And even if you do a blind tasting, you know, they almost resent you for pointing out that that emotional attachment is wrong. And, you know, I... I my idea of hell would be marketing these um, beers and trying to work out, you know. Um, <laughs> how, do I, how do I differentiate this one? <laughs> well, and, like, I, I, and I, I do wonder how people, you know, find fulfilment marketing, you know, career fulfilment marketing these different beers. 
I can imagine the boss turning up in the marketing department um, a little bit like um, Vito Corleone um, when he came to the uh, the Undertaker. Yeah. I want you to use all of your skills and all of your talents to make yeah. this look good. But it is, <laughs> and look, and, and it is. But whilst you have that emotional feeling, you can't deny the fact that you know, so long as people do view them differently, there is a role for people whose job is to make people keep thinking differently, and you know, even further the terrain um but but between the various brands and uh yeah as i said i can't see the fulfillment in that but people are very good at it and uh from what i hear they're reasonably well paid at doing it so um you know good luck to them actually the, the one the only other thing that's that i found interesting about uh, about this is you know I, I just assumed that this um given that it was only available in australia at this stage that this version would be brewed in australia somewhere yeah and uh that's 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 a big no uh you know corona okay. could, always has been and still is an imported beer and you know admittedly i was speaking to the brand manager about it um and so she doesn't make the technical decisions that are made elsewhere in the company um it's a big company but um as far as they're concerned it's a big part of the corona brand it won't be but you know i I raised the question that you know cub used to also have peroni and italian style is you know it's one of the strongest associations with the country outside of corona um, but they willingly and happily brewed it over here and argued very passionately that you get a much fresher, better beer um, when Peroni is brewed over here. Um, so, so perhaps they're admitting that um, Corona doesn't suffer from oxidation. The fact that Corona is able to come in quite successfully and still be imported and they don't worry as much about brewing it locally here is both because of it's from where you'd rather be and it's got that brand element but also the lime ritual or the lemon ritual if you want to be completely wrong because that is such an important part you you never see people drinking corona in a cup or in a glass Um, you pretty much only see it consumed in the bottle and with the lime being an integral part of that that's the negative flavour being masked by the fresh fresh lime. You don't smell it, you don't taste it because you've got the lime in. And if it was a beer that didn't have that lime ritual, I wonder whether it would, it too would be brewed under under contract here. But again, I, you know, I couldn't get that um, answer, but that's just me ruminating on, on the beer. Yeah. And look, we've probably spent um, Far too two long. times, twice as long as we needed to on something that's got uh, that's just been cut by half. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Brewbound unveils its fastest growing craft breweries. That was an article that you drew drew our attention to. Uh, Yeah. Brewbound was reporting on a story that the Brewers Association, which is the American um, trade arm of the, the, the craft brewers, and they're the ones that control that definition of, you know, independent traditional and uh small um although small as with all of these things you know in independence what meant something and then now it's 25 percent uh, traditional once meant not using adjuncts that changed small once meant small and now it's uh bigger than any craft brewery in, in even you know multiples of the size of coopers um but 
they, for the first time, released a list of their 50 fastest growing. For, for a while, they'd, um, for the last you know, decade or more, they've had the you know, 50 largest craft breweries, and now they've uh, released the 50 fastest. Guess what the fastest um, growing craft brewery in the US was? Yeah, off the top of my head, I would have said it's it's something, you know, it, it wouldn't be like your Sierra Nevadas or your Stones. No, they lost uh, Because value, they're kind of so, so, so big that, yeah, um, that they're finding it hard and, and there's so many more on the market. So I, I would imagine it's one of that, that next tier, that sort of next level uh, size, um, Anderson Valley or, or something like that. Uh, you'd be wrong, Prof. Um, the craft beer growth powerhouse was Craft Roots Brewing in Milford, Massachusetts, and they grew, guess how much they grew by prof? In, a, in an industry that grew by 5% and with brewers oh, well, such as Sierra Nevada. fastest growing, yeah, would have to be like 10% or something. Mate, 1,440%. <laughs> That's a lot of percent. <laughs> well, now, now that's, that's about a, <laughs> this much. <laughs> that, he says, holding his hands out. That sounds like a, like a lot. Um, up until uh, you realise that the growth was from 20 barrels um, to 308 barrels. Now, what's a barrel, you may ask, Pete? Roughly, is it like 100 litres? 117 litres. So, yes, okay. they grew. Now, such is their size that I can even do the maths for the first one in my head. So, 20 barrels, 20 by 117 is 2,000 um, with, with change. Um, so That's I'd, not bad because listeners, Matt, usually uses an abacus. Well, I so do. Was... <laughs> and, and I can generally barely remember your name. Um, but so they've grown to the majestic 36,000 litre mark um, in 2017. From 2,000 to 36,000. Yes. That is, that is big growth, but that's for a brewery that size, isn't that just putting another fermenter in? Or Well, mate, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are home brewers who are listening that would be 20 barrel, that would brew 20 barrels a year. Um, or, or go pretty close to it. Oh, so, I know somebody brewed 20 barrels for a party. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, just, well, 2,000 litres. So that's about 400 kegs a year. So, now, again, look, I don't, I don't despite our mocking tone, um, I don't mean to mock, but the thing that caught my eye about this story, Prof, is the Brewers Association is the trade association, and it's, you know, and, and, and depending on what your view of a trade association is, they're there to, you know, advocate for, you know, to lobbyists, they're there to sort of, uh, you know, train, educate, and those sorts of things. But this um, shift to the fastest growing and sort of hyping, um, you know, very you know, monumentally small breweries. Um, over the last, uh, you know, again, 10 years, they've been talking about craft beer's double-digit growth and, you know, the success of the big breweries. Suddenly they're looking at um, breweries that are, you know, fairly small um, and talking about the fastest growth. And to me, this is uh, an association looking at news stories to keep the hype going, um, you know, we have seen some of the biggest breweries lose significant. And when, you know, when Sierra Nevada loses eight percent, you know, their production falls off by eight percent. They are so big that an eight percent fall of their production eats up the growth in production of probably you know a couple of hundred um, craft roots brewing. So to put the spotlight on these sorts of figures. That's a, a, an element of worry. You know, look, I, I, I sort of is, is it this? Is it an association, an industry association, trying to uh, you know like like talk up the the positives or 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 just um, you know um, to just to be to be seen and heard? 
what, do you think? Look, and, it, and it's part of their remit, I'm sure, to talk up the positives. But at the same time, they're talking down the negatives. And you know, we, we have seen a big swing up, you know, uh, upswing in brewery closures. And we've got their chief economist you know, basically saying, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Just a natural part of the cycle. Um, but oh, look over here, look over here. This brewery has grown, you know, th- this brewery is making, you know, gone from making a spa thousand percent. Amount, yeah, like a spa sized <laughs> volume of beer to a domestic swimming pool. And that's always a little bit of a worry to me because, you know, like I've always gone to the, the Brewers Association as a source of news um, and a source, you know, as, as, a, as an industry source of news. And when they start verging into being the rah-rah squad, the cheer squad, bad news isn't as bad, good news is even better. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I look for in trying to ascertain whether there's a bubble um, because a lot of people read that and go, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I love craft beer. I don't want to read those bad things because that's going to happen. And then they, they pick up on the hype of the story. And that encourages more people into the to the industry and it just keeps that idea of hype going. And, you know, when, when you look at the... Um, Prof, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Big Short. Um, you know, it was a, a no, movie. I haven't, Matt. Oh, you haven't? Isn't, like, really, oh, is, really... is that the one about the subprime real estate mortgage collapse of 2008? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, it was, Prof. But you know, like, one of the funny things about it was that you had a couple of people saying, look, this is unsustainable, there, there's a crash. And then you had this whole industry that was geared around growth that, um, you know, acted as a cheer squad, um, kept going long after, you know, it was obvious that there was a problem. Now... You never know in high, until hindsight whether whether it is a, a problem. But when you've got a an industry industry association um, that is bordering into hype driving as opposed to information providing, um, you know, I, I just sort of worry if if that's what they should be doing. Well, to be to be fair though, Matt, it's 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 not all they're doing. Like there's um, still plenty of other stuff as well. Sure, but all all of which is geared towards driving the industry. You know, like ed- education, those sorts of things are fairly neutral. I um, mean, you're providing the education, but so much of what they do, whether it's the, um, you know, the the, the beer awards and the uh, Great American Beer Festival and and these sorts of things, all of the media, all of the the the, the broader market, um, is about telling people how fantastic craft beer is, um, but then there is a very strong element of that that's also saying how robust and growing and supportive it is. And that's not actually targeting consumers. That's actually targeting people, you know, that, that's bolstering the confidence of people who are investing and uh, you know, entering the market. You know, when you sort of see this tiny, what, what is essentially a home brewer growing by 1,440% being celebrated and championed uh, in the industry, um, you know, by the industry association, that brings in a whole lot of more ill-thought-out participants. Um, and, you know, I, I would argue that we probably don't need more of them. Um, we, we need more people who have very robust business models um, and aren't you know, doing the, the, the garage growing to a bigger um, brewery. But, look, mate, I could be wrong. Yep. No, you could be. Who knows? Well, um, time will tell. Um, let's move on because... Uh, Perhaps fastest growing breweries or, or the, the biggest threat to, um, you know, bursting the bubble is uh, to let people know that uh, 80% of craft beer is actually um, passion fruit flavoured soft drink. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the Petutera Advocate nails it again. Um, great article that uh, no doubt everyone has seen because if you like craft beer and you're on Facebook, um, one of your friends will have tagged you. It, it's been shared. <laughs> yeah, and, and by tagging you go, what do you think? Basically saying, you know, <laughs> You're a dirty, stinking hipster, um, 
which given I don't have a beard or a tattoo and my name isn't Banjo Clement. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the Batuta advocate, which is always very good at securing pretension, um, had a very funny story saying that, 80, that a study found that 80% of craft beers were found to be Kirk's Pasito, um, whilst a further 5% was found to be rival passion fruit flavour drink, Passiona. And uh, yeah, go, go read it. Very, very funny. If you don't find it funny, then the joke is actually probably on you. Exactly. So yes, don't take it. To, uh, like beer itself. Drink it responsibly, but don't take it too seriously. Well, don't um, take yourself seriously. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just going to throw in a quick plug before we go to cards and letters, because we do have some um, this week. But speaking of um, well, the opposite of that, I guess, you know, of, of keeping it real and and, uh, and all that sort of thing, um, a very dear friend of uh, the program, The Beer Diva, has uh, an event coming up at St Paul's Cathedral on April the 21st called Revelation, which is for those who were at Good Beer Week last week, last year. Um, may have seen um, opera, and uh, apropos of my chat with um, Simon Walkenhurst, because I don't, I don't know if it's actually advertised, but I think he was practicing um, a very tricky piece that uh, that may be a bit of a surprise on the night. But it's it's beer matched with cheese, matched with opera inside the uh, beautiful uh, interior of uh, St Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne. And you can find details on Brews News Facebook page I've shared. Uh, but yeah, um, certainly there there will be a link in the show notes. Um, to that. Yeah, and all the best with it, Miss Walton. Just quickly, can I read out a couple of letters that we got from uh, Dave Bantz, um in the States? Good morning, Matt, James and Pete. Been enjoying Radio Bridge News for the past year or so. Glad to have stumbled upon it in my podcast stream. Listening from the US, enjoy hearing me at the Australian Craft Brewing World, dreaming of trying fresh Australian brews beyond the Fosters that I'm pretty sure isn't taking a refrigerated container across the Pacific. Which brings me to your interesting, but at times awkward, interview with Greg Cook about a month back. Thoroughly enjoyed the Greg 2010 versus 2018 interview. Uh, checked out the expiry date of a couple of cans of Stone in his hometown of Minnesota, um, Stone Ripper, uh, which is stored warm on the shelf, and found that even here, Stone appears to have the same distribution problems. To their credit, three of the five I checked were within the code. Uh, the one, and his attached picture, is about 40 days beyond their enjoy-by date. Um, thought you might enjoy some US perspective on Stone's distribution. Cheers from Dave in St Paul, Minnesota. We've got reach, Matt. Mate, yeah, that, that was awesome. It was really nice to we, – we, we can see from the podcasting stats that there are you know, handfuls of people around the world that listen, primarily Australia, because we talk about Australian Brews News. But, yeah, no, uh, thank you very much for, for reaching out to us, uh, Dave. And, uh, and particularly on, on that issue, it's, it's an issue that I have been getting a lot of emails about. Um, and to, to be fair, um, I did find this week I went up to Craft, which I think is uh, one of Brisbane's leading bottle shops, um, and uh, they had fresh – inverted commas, stock of IPA in um, that they had only just got in that week and it had seven days left on the three months that uh, Stone considers acceptable. So um, so sorry, punters, that uh, by the time you hear this, that'll be out of date. It will be out of date. But to me, that highlights the problem um, with that Stone issue is that if a bottle shop is only ordering, so it's not a turnover problem in the shop, which is what we were told it, it probably is, this was stock that had arrived from the distributor and even then, it only had seven days on... If, if it had an American coding system, it would have only had seven days um, best before. Um, and that highlights a problem that we have in this country with imported beers. Anthony DeFanti um, is a regular listener, um, and he is the uh, recipient of our Letter of the Week. Such was our overflowing mailbag, and we've continued to get... We've had to sort of, uh, again, just sort of choose um, a couple of letters to, to read after our whole... Um, letter edition last week but such apparently 
our listeners respond to bribery. So the letter of the week uh, will get a prize. So listeners, if you are listening and you've got something to get off your chest uh, or just disagree with anything that we say, um, you can send a card or a letter. Anthony said, dear Radio Bridge News, I love listening to this podcast for the intoxicating mix of cynicism and enthusiasm. Listen to all the published episodes and enjoying the third contributor format from James and others. Work in West Melbourne and our many Friday night sessions at local breweries would temper Matt's cynicism directed at Two Birds Easy Drinking Lager. We have a number of colleagues with fine palates who only drink lagers or pilsners and they can taste when something is a bit rough and don't appreciate being stuck with it. In fact, these small breweries have a great story to tell about the craft of lagering where time truly can be the fifth ingredient. He has been listening for a while. Yeah, he's been listening. Good on him. We did some blind triangle tastes of VB versus Crown and had a fun discussion afterwards, given that the craft head struggled to tell the difference where the others succeeded. I, I, sorry, Anthony, I'm going to call the shenanigans on that. I reckon it's probably more luck, just blind, dumb luck than, um, than skill. Prof, I, I would absolutely believe that that's the case. And, uh, and I find that like when I do the cruises and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and to me, it comes back to that colour palette um, thing, that if you are only drinking... Um, you know, mainstream lagers, whether they're premium or imported or whatever, you're only drinking mainstream lagers, um, you are zooming in on that white palette. Um, and so you are going to notice differences a lot more than if you know, you, you're going from, um, if your palette is collaborated right across the flavour spectrum and you know, one day you're having stouts and IPAs and then suddenly having a lager, the difference between lagers is, is going to seem so much smaller because your perspective is so much broader. Um, that, that, that's the way I rationalise it to myself, but uh, no, I, I've noted that exact same um, effect. Cool, I disagree. And Anthony finishes by saying, <laughs> this brings me to one thing that I would love to see RBN steer back towards. I don't see much media discussing the relative fortunes of the big brand beers, and this is something that RBN used to cover well. Interesting that it's surprising to hear that Furphy is going so well, but how is it comparing to the classic lagers, and is it stealing market share from these beers? I uh, really enjoy the interviews you've done from those involved in the big end of beer, so please continue seeking these out. Keep up the fantastic work, and thank you, Anthony, for your letter. Well, yeah, look, we've uh, delivered on that um, this week talking about corona, but that's only because there was corona news. It wasn't because of uh, Anthony's letter. And, um, yeah, look, we had some interesting uh information about Furphy, you know, not only is it growing spectacularly quickly, um, and it's available in Queensland at the moment. It was on at the, someone was telling me at a tasting last night that it's on at the Aspley Hornets Football Club, which is as suburban a football club, as, you know, in terms of tastes as you're going to get. And Furphy was on there and apparently uh, doing doing very, very well. And, you know, the thing that surprised me, Prof, is that Furphy is, isn't even counted. Like I'd always seen because it came from Little Creatures and it was, you know, very light um, flavoured in the craft beer spectrum. But I'd always seen it as being a craft beer. Um, but in, in marketing terms and for industry terms, it's regarded as a mainstream beer because of its price point. Yeah, purely on price point. And can I tell you, I was um, I, only day before yesterday was down at the brewery and can I tell you it was <laughs> the packing line was absolutely running red hot just pumping out uh just furphy unbelievable uh, massive massive amounts and uh they were very busily preparing um while we were visiting for a visit the day after um uh, by all the uh the big the, the as in the big big accounts who were all coming down to um to have a furphy day prior to the national launch of furphy so good luck to them all and, you know, Prof, it's one of those things, I don't know whether it's stealing, um, whether it's getting its volume from mainstream drink, mainstream drinkers who are, um, you know, trading up to that 
netherworld between mainstream and craft or whether it's craft drinkers who have gone on their journey and are maybe sort of deciding that they like white bread again um, from you know these sourdoughs and multigrains um, but yeah, it, we, it, shall, look, it, we shall see it, it, it is just going uh, it, it is going to be a significant player um, on, on, on the market but uh, just to his comment about two birds it, it's, it's one of those interesting things um, that we have had some interesting feedback about um, and it, sorry and I don't mean to single out two birds it's more the number of brewers and young Henry's has got one and two birds has got one these lagers that fit very strongly in flavor sense um, in that mainstream category yep Hawkers has got one yeah, there was another interesting article on Brewbound that I didn't throw into the show notes because it only came up in my feed this morning. It might be something we talked about last week, but it was doing a back to the future and looking at, do you remember the 2009 I Am A Craft Brewer um, video that was yep. you know, all about tub thumping and chest pounding about, you know, we are the, the, the way forward. We are the one true, um, you know, unlike those anodyne industrial lagers that use adjuncts and things. And uh, you know, fast forward ten years, and the Brewers Association has changed its definition. So now, craft brewers are some of those same craft brewers are probably using adjuncts when they once swore off them. And some of the craft brewers who were marking themselves out as being you know independent have now sold out. Um, and you know, when we do start seeing beers moving towards that mainstream category, what are the small independent brewers fighting against? Aren't they just following the market? Like if that's where the taste is, if that's where you've got to chase the dollar. Yeah, absolutely. If that's where what people are drinking and wanting to drink, and, and it's it's like all the other trends. You know, we go through sours, we go IPAs. Kind of guess uh, stayed you know, stuck fat um, as I guess the 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 flagship for for craft. But we've also then have had you know the, the fruity IPAs. We had the West Coast IPAs. We've got, now got the New England IPAs, black IPAs. We went through for a while. There's always always changing you've got to go oh yeah okay that was fun but you know now i need to make some money but mainstream beer isn't a trend like that that was the thing mainstream was this evil noxious bland industrial lager that we're rebelling against um and that was the whole reason that people wanted to get into craft beer in the first place was because it was different And without cutting matt off matt we probably do need to let our listeners go (laughs) i'm I'm too scared to say anything prof and we'll see you next week yeah yeah, no don't start And on that note, thanks very much. Uh, Enjoy your beer wherever you are and whoever you are with, and we'll see you all again next week. Radio Brews News and Beer is a Conversation are made possible by our very generous sponsors, Cryomalt and Brewpack, who are not only supporting this conversation, they're supporting the good beer industry and we thank them for their support. We also thank our Radio Brews News paid subscribers who donate a small amount each month to help keep the conversation going as well. Thank you for your support. If you like what we do and you'd like to support the show yourself, you can find a link in the show notes. Uh, You can make a one-off donation or a regular small donation. You can also help us by helping others to find us by leaving a review on iTunes on your favourite podcasting app. Finally, you can join the conversation by sending some feedback, comments or suggestions to producer at brewsnews.com.au. Thanks very much for listening. Join us next week for another beer conversation. And we're out. We'll be right back.